Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 373. I really had to think about that. Um, of the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip. How you doing, y'all? Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the first two that came out this week. I did a Behind the Album for Angles on Monday, a Behind the Album for Logic of Chance on Wednesday. And today we round off the trilogy of Lissac versus Pip albums with a behind the album of Repent, Replenish, Repeat. Yeah, I really enjoyed recording these and revisiting these. It was nice. Um, as I've mentioned on the intro on Monday, to this day, people don't know that I stopped making music, <laughs> which makes me know that you don't really miss it that much. I promise you. Every time I get a message, particularly during this pandemic, when people are like, man, I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so I can come and see you live. It's like, yo, I stopped playing live six years ago. <laughs> if you didn't notice, then you're not missing anything from this pandemic, I promise, with regards to me and my musical endeavours. So, yeah, but this is a bit of a nostalgia trip because they're, as I said, I really enjoyed going over these these records and remembering some of the stories you can also listen to dan lasak's podcast falling forward uh he's got a load of good episodes there you can hear new music current music not nostalgia trip shit um from dan lasak you can hear it on Bandcamp. you can hear it on spotify you can hear it on apple but you can hear the most of it and support people or an individual by going on that on on Dan's Patreon. Um, there's loads of good shit there. At the end of the last episode, <laughs> I tried to plug my Patreon and I just couldn't do it, man, because in reality, I don't really do much on my Patreon. I do the occasional Patreon Zoom hangout. I've done like four, three or four in the last year or whatever during the pandemic. Three, maybe two. I don't know. We've done a few. And we do Q&As every now and then, but not really much, I swear. Whereas over at Dan's one, he digs out old d demos. He goes through all sorts of dope shit. So that's where the value's at, I swear. I'm going to stop rambling. Oh, I'll tell you where else the value's at. Speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Yeah. Yeah, man, there's some value in there. We've got everything over there. I can't have a browse, honestly. I list all the different things that we have on these episodes every now and then. But just can't have a browse. I swear you'll find some things that surprise you. We just launched our... Not just a few months back, uh, we may not be for you, and that's fine. Sweaters that look really slick, so I'm really pleased with them. Yeah, I'll get into the episode. I want to just quickly thank everyone for all the love for episode one of Debris, the show that I've been working on for a minute now. I got a lot of excited people who had heard me hyping it. I got a lot of excited people who knew, did, had no idea I was acting now, um, and I'm in like the first scene. So it kind of caught a few people off guard, but it was all all lovely. Um, and yeah, we're every Monday at 10 p.m. on NBC. If you're in America, um, the UK, there's still deals being negotiated, but you can go and watch the first episode on you. No, the first 15 minutes of the first episode on YouTube for free. And you can get to meet my character, Anson Ash, um, right off the bat, really. But yeah. You know, it's also it's it's been it's been a week, and I'm still constantly bumping a wheelchair sports camp. Yes, I'm a mess. 
it is a tune. Um, I know a lot of you are feeling it as well because I've had a load of you tweet me about it who'd never heard of Wheelchair Sports Camp and hadn't heard this track. But um, yeah, go and check it out on YouTube. The video is my shit, massively. The video and the song, but the video, all of it together, it's so dope. This is the third episode of the week, you lucky, lucky things. I'm back next week with more episodes, for sure. Don't doubt that for a second. But for now, this is episode 373 of the Distraction Pieces podcast, and it is behind the album. Repent, replenish, repeat. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Welcome, welcome. Oh no, I do that in the intro. Not in the actual body of the of the podcast. All right, well, forget that. Um, hello. It's another behind the album. It's the last one because I will have done all my albums. Or maybe I could do the um, the the live Edinburgh Fringe DVD. I don't know. But yeah, this is the last album album of the behind the album. Um, and it's Repent, Replenish, Repeat, which came out in 2013. Man, that was a while back. That was my last record, potentially ever, probably ever. I've no plans, as I mentioned all the time, I've no plans to make any more. And at the end of this episode, we'll get a bit of a chat about why that has become such a solid plan. But yeah, it's also my joint proudest moment musically. Um, This album and Distract, like people often ask, what my favourite of my own work is. Weird question, because again, as I've said, on all the other ones, I don't listen back to my own stuff. But with a bit of distance, because I think every time you release a new album, it's your favourite, because you've just been working on it. And if it's not your favourite, you wouldn't be putting it out. But with a bit of distance between all of them now, the Repent, Replenish, Repeat and Distraction Pieces are my my joint first Um with angles close behind them, then probably logic, then no commercial breaks, I guess. All of which I've done behind the, the album episodes for, so go back and dig into them if you haven't already. So we're going to go through, as if, if this is your first one you've tuned into, we're going to go through and listen to bits, and I'll see what comes up. I don't plan these. Um, we did do a Tim's Tim's listening party for this at the start of lockdown um so i had a bit of a refresher then but but but, but, but yeah we'll, we'll go over things um opening a record has always been something that we were adamant again i me and dan lasak and me on my solo stuff i try and write and structure albums r- rather than a collection of songs so making the opening strong you know beat them a heart skip was our opener on angles and our opener live for ages. Introduction was my opener on distraction pieces and my opener live for ages. And this album was the first one that gave me and Dan a new opener. We started opening with Stunner, I think. Not every show. I think we still did a few as Beat Them Heart Skip, but Stunner became a bit of an opener. And I mean, the story behind getting the beat, Dan sent me the beat. And I'd realised that the only way I could properly take in beats was to download them onto my iPod at the time to put my headphones on and to go for a walk and listen. Because Dan, the 
the process would be Dan would send me like 10 beats or 15 beats and I'd go back with here's here's the two or three I I think have jumped out immediately at times he'd resend the same beat in in four different like beat drops and on the fourth one I'd be like oh this beat's amazing and he wouldn't mention the fact that I've ignored it three times already but it was always a case of what jumped out at the time and what instantly felt like it was something I could write to and on this particular beat drop Stunner was in there and it's the most excited I've ever been to receive a beat it blew me away I thought wow this is the fact that I'm going to get to 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 jump on this beat is mad um on the walk I text or email I can't remember Zane Lowe to say when this new album comes I've got your your hottest record in the world for you because he does on his show he used to do his his hottest record in the world right now and before I'd even written a vocal I I heard this beat and I was like Zane we got you covered and sure enough a year or so later the album came out and Zane selected it not aware that this was the one I was talking about to be clear and yeah he went for it. Uh, uh, let's have a bit of a listen to that opener. Again, I've got my Sonos Move at, on the other side of my desk. So um, we're getting in-room sound. I know it sounds weird. I do want you to look back on this and smile, but I kind of want that smile to be through tears. <laughs> It was just this beat that just ah oh, knocked me off my feet. I realise I've got loads of things in the way of the speaker, so the sound isn't great. It's not a reflection on. Let me move it. Um, I think the quality of this beat made me write better than I have any right to write. <laughs> I'm really, yeah, I, I think a lot of the lyrics on this hold up really well. I think it's quite intricate. I was really pleased with this vocal and it became an absolute f- favourite to perform live. Um, it also became something I'd be knocked for, mocked for, because um, the fact that in the opening I say the word I... Oh, with an H. I know it sounds weird. Where'd the H come from? I know it sounds weird. And weird has got a Y in the middle. I know it sounds weird. But um, that's just how I speak. And yeah, this is is one of my my favourite things that we made. Um, I was really pleased with it. A little insight on the lyrics. As everyone knows, I don't really write true stories as i mentioned on the the logic of chance one there's one track that i wrote as a as a true story everything else is kind of pieced together particularly relationship songs of a number of relationships but the hook i started to write when i was in a relationship because dan mentioned numerous times that we've never written 
an actual love song. All of our love songs are actually breakup songs or misery songs or tough relationship songs. And part of that's intentional because I think there's been loads of love songs written that are great, but it's really hard to write them without them seeming cheesy or or shit. So I originally started to write the hook trying to make it a love song, partly about the relationship I was in at the time, but, you know, also just about different moments in my life where I felt that that emotion and 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 that being kind of head over heels type thing um again i've told this story in the past and people think it's about a specific relationship but yeah i was in a relationship but it was changing it and moving it and twisting it and then the relationship ended before the song was finished or before i'd really started on the song properly if i'm honest so i added the word have the world don't revolve around you, but it should. Ain't saying you're perfect, but you're really, really good. Ain't saying I love you, but I probably could. That was the hook. <laughs> and then the relationship ended, and I was like, let's make it an angry song. <laughs> I'm far more comfortable in these places. So I just added a have after the could. And all the rest just kind of flowed n- naturally. The video f- f- for this was one of my favourites as well. We shot it under the, the roundhouse in Camden. Um, and we had to do it as a one shot. And again, it was me back directing our videos for this album after I sat out Logic a Chance or back having input. Sorry, I didn't direct any on angles, but I had a lot of input. Me and the director would brainstorm a lot of it. L- Logic a Chance, we got a different director. Distraction pieces, me and my, and my mates made them. Me, my mate Tom, who was the cameraman, he was as much a director as anyone. My mate Aaron, who was the director, you know, all three of us kind of directed them. Um, so we did that on angles, sorry, on distraction pieces. And then for this album, it was me and Tom, I think, just running with it. And yeah, this one became one of our more known videos, I guess. It was a one shot. I'm obsessed with one shots. I think they're so much fun. I'd done a few one shots with solo stuff. And always really enjoyed them. So, um, yeah, this was one of them. And we, it was a really hot day. We had loads of extras. It was quite intricate because me and Tom had had to plan out where everything is, who moves in and out, how we're going to make it work. And we, we'd we made, like, we didn't have any expensive equipment. Tom had made a, a dolly, so a, a wheels for the camera, out of an old pram um, of his, um, the that had big wheels because we needed to, he needed to be able to move in any direction because we were going in one way, out another way. He's facing at me the whole time. Really hard to direct a whole room full of people when you're on camera and Tom's moving the camera. So we had amazing people helping out though. Ollie and everyone else were amazing. We also had a few repeat cameos. So, Den Deville, who was an angel in the Look for the Woman video, was in this video with the same angel wings on. Um, I think we had someone from the the Letter from God to Man video in there as well, but I can't quite remember. Maddie and Lilla from the um, who did who did a merch thing for me where I did where I was releasing these new caps. They were in there. Tons of people, basically. Oh, a few of the people who were in the the struggle video, maybe. I can't think, but yeah, 
it was a lot to do. And by the time we'd got it all set up, it took longer than we'd expected to set it all up and tell everyone where to move and when. Gemma helped out on this. There was loads of good people helping out. So when we actually had time to shoot, we only had time to do, I think, three takes, maybe four takes. So when the day ended and we had to leave, we didn't know if we had it or not. So the absolute buzz and excitement when we started to go through the takes and go and found one where we've we've got it and we've nailed it ricky hall played my double in it so we have this bit where i go slightly off camera because he's a mate of mine and a model and the reason we became mates was he he, i kept getting tagged in his post because people were saying is that scroobius pip so we use that to our advantage despite me being about a foot taller than him um, and him being far more handsome there's a moment where i go off camera and around the the other side of the camera in the same outfit he comes on and starts getting off with a girl and we've got this whole moment and then i appear again and and continue the vocal and yeah really pleased with that another funny thing was when this video came out an american lady did a video reacting to it really not happy because she thought it was about a specific relationship of mine and she thought i shouldn't have been going out with people who've got tattoos are damaged or evil apparently and all this thing and I got told about this video while I was up at the fringe so I went back to my accommodation and did a live watching of her her ramble and I put that up on YouTube so it was a good kind of her reacting to Stana then me reacting to her so that was a lot of fun it's amusing the world's a strange place when you start to put yourself out to everyone's judgment and opinion over the internet is there anything else i need to tell you about this one um i don't think so as said mad fun to do live it was our lead single and this time it felt right i mentioned on the logic of chance one i felt we chose the wrong lead single because we tried to go what would be most commercially viable rather than what was our stamp of here we are like with angles despite thou shout being the first single, but that's because we didn't have an album. When we had an album, the Beat That My Heart Skipped was our lead single because that was the opening track on the record with my solo record with Distraction Pieces. Introduction was the lead single because it feels like the if we've put together a, a record where here's how we want to open it, then that should be how people are introduced to it. So let's, let's move on to the next track because I've done one track and we're 15 minutes in. Another great beat. I love Dan's production on this record. So yeah, this one quite simply is about people who fall asleep on the on on the night bus. At the time, I had my radio show on XFM, and I'd often not record live, but every now and then I'd be in there or be recording late anyway, and I'd get the night bus home. And I always found it just so peaceful and serene that people can can fall asleep on that. I also had a mate um, in Manchester, my mate Lindsay, who I haven't spoken to in years now, 
who would often would be chatting over text or whatever when she was on her, her way home from work. It probably only happened a couple of times, but it was at the time I was, I was working on all this. And she'd just go absolutely silent. And, you know, anyone who's got mates who basically, in a completely honest way, the world is a fucked up place. So late night public transport is a dangerous place for women at times. So, so anytime you're talking to a mate and they go quiet all of a sudden, you're like, I hope everything's okay. And then it just turned out she would just always fall asleep on the night bus home. Um, so yeah, as I said, at the time, it was more I'd witness um, a lot of different people who did that. And it was a beautiful thing because there's a, a serenity in amongst all the madness. It felt like you're looking around at people having fights and being rowdy. And then it feels like everything goes into slow motion or these people who are asleep are kind of, you know, underwater. And it's this peaceful, serene scene in a in a in a hectic world. So yeah, that's what that was about, and a banging um, beat. Let's move on to the next one. There's a few tracks I'm going to skim quite quickly through because there's three or four that I want to talk about a lot more, and one of them is this, which is is one of my favourite bits of um, of work f- f- from me and Dan. feel numb. I said, that doesn't make sense. Numbness is a lack of feeling. She said, I knew what she meant. And I did. I was just talking. I'm not a pedant, but I was hesitant to let silence walk in. I took her hand and I kissed each knuckle. It didn't register at first, but then she smiled and smiled. I mean, fuck all. I don't think I want to fight it. So this is Terminal, and it's a really weird song. Again, I, on every album, there's there's one or two songs that I'm like, I don't know if this can be a song, but then it happens and it works and it becomes a a fan favourite. And, yeah, it's a weird little story about someone choosing not to fight a terminal illness. And as it plays out, they've met someone on this night that they're going to just end it all. And they have this little moment of adventure it, there's there's a few origins of this one so number one there was a song that i kept trying to write for, for me and dan on the last record that was about a couple who've just decided to have have one like they've decided they're going to break up and rather than being horrible and ugly they decide to have one more night just celebrating everything that was and then walk away for some reason i got that idea when listening to atlantic city by Bruce Springsteen, put your makeup on, put your hair up pretty and meet me tonight in Atlantic Sea. Everyone dies, baby, that's a fact, but everything that dies one day comes back. Put your makeup on, put your hair up pretty and meet me tonight in Atlantic City. And that that lyric made me think of, you know, everything dies and that's a fact, was me thinking, right, well, relationships end. So that's not what Atlantic City is about, but I like the idea of it being a, let's go out with a bang, man. But then the other song that influenced it was was that that or that spurned it was Chemo Limo by Regina Spector, where it's someone talking about particularly in America where chemo and stuff like that is hugely expensive if you've not got the right insurance or whatever else um, or healthcare, 
and there's a line in that where it's someone gets diagnosed with cancer and they say I'm not fighting it because they say I can afford chemo as much as I can afford a, a limo and on any given day I'd rather ride a limousine and again I love that idea of going right saving my life is going to cost 30 grand or to have a chance of saving my life is going to cost 30 grand fuck that I'm going to spend 30 grand on going out with a bang Um, and that kind of all inspired this the reveal at the end is that they're that they're strangers that they happen to both be coming out of hospital at the same time kind of in the waiting room type thing at the same time and he went in with her or or whatever and she decided look she'd just been told it's terminal that's why it's called terminal she'd just been told it's terminal and they go and have this adventure and they take pills and they have a really important part of this was the fact that they kiss but the kiss was everything you know when you're a really young teen like a kiss oh my god it's unimaginable as you get older a kiss is a prelude to some kind of sexual interaction often you know that that's where it's building to rather than that being the kind of end goal. And I love the idea of these two having this moment where that's all it is. It's not going anywhere else. It's not leading to anything else. There's no no desire. Everything is that moment. Or more, everything is the moment before. Everything is the moment where their heads are moving slightly closer and then the kiss. You know, the foreplay is micro-movements and nerves of our... Did their head move? Are we move, are we going in? Is this? Am I doing? Is this just me? Am I going to get knocked back? Are we both? Oh my god! And then the moment, and then she jumps up and says, "You know, I'll tell you my name." And then she 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 kills herself again. It's a it's a choosing. Obviously, I've talked about suicide a lot. It's had a big impact on my life, but I don't like the demonization of suicide. I don't like, even though, you know, <laughs> a magician's assistant on the first album demonises it quite a bit, but more the fact that it's seen as a weakness or a failure or the traditional religious thing of you'll go to hell. In this song, she wants to take control. She doesn't want to be at the hands of of others. She wants to go, right, I'm I'm dying. This is a fact. Now, I want it on my terms. I want to choose. I've had this amazing evening. I want to go out on top. And weirdly, that's something I've been obsessed with in my life for a long time. I didn't even mean to bring this up or or go into this, but the only times I've dreamt or fantasised of suicide, has this is so dark and weird, but it's always been a thought of the only time I do it is when things are going amazingly. And I, I I feel, right, I'm happy now. I'm really content. I want to go out on top. I'll end it there. And again, I'm not suicidal. Don't panic, guys. But I've that's where suicide has always sat in my mind. It's never been when things are really dark or heavy. It's been like I'd always think, yeah, I'm, I'll leave it there, actually, because this is getting really weird. But this will come back into conversation later because I didn't realise how much of my life exists in increments of that rather than the full anyway we'll get to that trust me let's go on to the next one this is another one i mentioned on one of the records that there's tracks that i have barely any memory of 
because they weren't ones that we played live. playing about it's it's a lyrical dancing i'm having a bit of enjoyment here i mean these kind of tracks it's amazing when people enjoy them because they've been written purely for me (laughs) to play about with syllables and wordplay and metaphors and dance about there's not really a big theme of this song the the hook of i dream of heroism the story behind that is that I've, I've I've regularly had kind of daydream hero fantasies, I guess, or hero complex of wanting to help people and save people. But, you know, it gets dark because it'll be like, I'll be imagining that the train I'm on crashes and I'll be thinking, right, I'll do what I can. I'll help this person. We'll find that the exit's there. Here's what we can do. I can move over that way and we'll get that person out first and it's just these weird i don't want the train to crash but it's the dream of these being in these scenarios and mentally preparing myself to step up even though these things never happen (laughs) but yeah not much more to tell you about that but on to the next one this one gets a lot of love another another weird one Full of the types of minds that might sometimes the vibes of full paths that we all default. We're to think each one is someone's daughter. Because I'm the pauper and these walls are walk for more to walk. Full of the types of rhymes that might survive like the crimes. We're to think each one is someone's daughter. Cell one is a little padded palace Within which lives a little girl named Alice For half her life in that room she has been banished She drinks on the wrong side of the chalice The girl's damaged each day when I arrive at the front gate I hear a happy... So, yeah, this is this is a funny one Because I remember telling... I've got such a clear memory of me, Dan Lissac and B Dolan on. It must have been on the Logic of Chance tour playing in Newcastle and going for a walk after sound check, going to find some food and me telling them about this idea where I'm I'm the porter in a mental hospital and the, the inmates are all people from stories that we know and it turns out these stories are their hallucinations or whatever. So we've got Alice in Wonderland, we've got a what's her name from Peter Pan and we've got... Um, Dorothy from uh, The Wizard of Oz. Is it? Have I got a, a Wendy in there? I'm, I'm not sure if I have. I can't. I can't even remember who the who the people are. But yeah, and these famous stories that we know of these wonderful, surreal, weird places are actually the, the as I said the hallucinations of people in a mental institute. And the porter is going around and talking to each of them, and or telling you their story. As I was writing this, I got informed of 
Alan Moore's book, Lost Girls, which I think is a similar thing. I bought it and I've got it on my shelf still and it's sealed. It's a hardback. So it's a sealed copy because I didn't want to open it and have it influence the story I was writing or telling. And then it's kind of become a thing now that it's just there safe. I think I talk about this with Alan when he was on the podcast many moons ago in the first four or five episodes. But yeah, and then ages later, because again, it's really, it's fun to have such a tight framework to work to. A lot of the other tracks, particularly when it's all complete fiction, I can go anywhere I want, anywhere the rhyme pattern takes me, all that kind of thing, just go off on tangents. Whereas I really like when there's a really specific story you have to tell that you have to then fit into tight syllable rhymes. And that's how this one worked. And it was it was a lot of fun. It's, it's one that people have always said there should be a music video for. And they're right. But again, you've got to bear in mind, we always had f- fuck all budget for music videos. And we don't have the budget to rent or create a whole mental hospital, <laughs> essentially. Um, and then all the weird surreal stuff that we'd have to do to make it interesting rather than just looking at Alice in Wonderland in a padded cell. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, and I was really p- 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 pleased with how it turned out. And I told Dan I wanted a beat that's kind of... He's doing the rounds. He's 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 walking the... He's doing... Yeah, he's walking the, the, the corridors and doing his thing and telling his story. Um, so yeah, that's how that one came about. N- next up is Gold Teeth. And before we get into it, so this started with the hook that Dan made that r- rappers wear bling because they want to look pr- pretty. And I loved it. And I started going off on tangents. There's a bit on the second verse that's referencing or rewriting or stealing Ferramonch's rhyme pattern from Get the fuck up. New York City gritty committee pity the fool that act shitty in the midst of the dawn they're witty. Get the fuck up. But then we were were working on it and I'd hit up Flux Pavilion. I think about doing a remix. And again, it was another one where it said he'd be up for working on something with us. So Dan and Flux went back and forth and produced this. And it was the first time Dan had really collaborated with another producer and I think both of them were nervous because, again, particularly when you're self-taught, you think that secretly you don't know what you're fucking doing or you'll get to someone else who knows a specific area that you don't know and you'll look like you're really ignorant. But I think it came out amazingly and Flux added stuff that Dan can't do. Flux was also, you know, I got annoyed a few times because he was he wanted my rhymes to match the beat in a certain way and I have quite a loose delivery you know i start a couple of lines i get some words in before the bar starts and he was kind of like no this isn't on beat and i'm like it is on beat but then you know the way we got it i couldn't be very happier with so let's have a listen i'll skip to the and try and find the um the pheromonch stolen bit That's Dan Lissac saying that, and then it's glitched out. Oh, 
I'm trying to find that bit now. So that's the din 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 din. Get the fuck up. So New York City gritty. Let me try and get it in line. So the the Ferrer Munch one is New York City gritty committee pity the fools that act shitty in the midst of the calm they witty or whatever it is. Get the fuck up. There we go. Um, the video f- for this was a whole lot of fun. We had one day we borrowed a room upstairs at the railway pub in in South End. Um, Stu Whiffin's in the video. Chris, I think, is in the video, or was Chris not there that day? I'm not sure. Loads of people in the video. DJ Destruction, my mate Simo, Amy from um, the Mum and Mama podcast. All of our pals in there, and we wanted basically to make it a pound in the pint jar strip club because of the cliche of rap videos in in strip clubs so me and i'd never been to a pound in the pint jar strip club before that and me and tom who as said is the cameraman and co-director went to a couple and felt incredibly uncomfortable but got our research and got it all to look right and yeah we got amazing people involved all the Three different girls were up for being the the, the strippers there. One of them, a really f- f- funny moment recently, actually. Carol Whiffin, Stu Whiffin's wife, who gets mentioned on the drunk cast and stuff like that every now and then, was working in a new office. And she mentioned, no, one of the people she was working with mentioned Scroobius Pip. And she was like, oh, he's my, he's my mate. Um, and she was oh shit so she said i was in one of his videos because she, she, she was the main stripper rainer so um she was i was in one of his videos so she brings the video up and there's Stu, her husband which she had n- no idea about this video particularly or certainly did remember it happening so, so yeah she's oh there's my husband as the barman in this strip stri- strip club video and yeah everyone involved was amazing um a local agency called I Am Epic hooked us up with some amazing people to be in it. Because again, up until then, pretty much all of our videos are people either that are our mates or we've just put a tweet out or whatever else. And I remember the security guard in particular, like we could have just put him in every scene because his face just was so good and told so many stories. And then, here's the interesting part actually, I can't remember what inspired it. I think there was a fan-made video for a, a Pusha T song that had a lot of scribbling over the top. So I wanted that to happen. So I hit up Mr. Heggie, who's been on the podcast, and I've now had tattoos by, because I was a fan of his artwork. And I said, do you have any knowledge of of this kind of thing? And he blagged it. He kind of went, yeah, 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 yeah. And I now know that he had no no knowledge at all, but because he, he saw this as an exciting opportunity, he did research, he downloaded the program that would work for it, he learnt it, and then did all this amazing scribbling and gold kind of imagery over the top of the video that made it look amazing and yeah he'd just learned that from scratch because i'd hit him up and he was like yeah 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 we could yeah we could do that so yeah 
That's Gold Teeth. Um, it was an, another single, I think. So it, uh, was it just Stunner, Gold Teeth, and You Will See Me, I think, were the singles? Yeah, because they're the ones that have got videos, of course. Let's move on to the next one. Another one I've got very little memory of. So heroism and entity on this, I barely remember remember because we never did them live. Oh yeah, I remember this one. Yes, so basically this one came about. It's another one that I tried to get something working, I think, on Logic of Chance. And it just wasn't working. Or maybe on distraction pieces even. But the idea was how our parents see us. So if you see, again, a simpler example is like a a goth who's got all kind of cyber-dogged up in the streets... You see them in a very specific way, but their mum or dad will still see them as the little kid that they once were. So this one was about kind of seeing through that. I did a project in... I went to... I did photography and film and some film study things at at Wolverhampton University. I dropped out after a year. But one of the shoots I did was called Entity Slash Identity, or Identity Slash Entity. And it was two two photos or two pieces. And the first was a load of different f- photos. And it was me. It, it The project had to be a self-portrait p- project. So there was tons of different pictures of me in different get-ups, different outfits, re- recreating that famous Michael Caine photo with the cigarette in his mouth, um, recreating the taxi driver thing, and loads of other stuff. And that was identity. And then the second photo was me stood there stark bollock naked, and that was entity. And it was the thing of our, our identity is all these masks that we put on to build up this character, and then here's the entity, our strip bear. And that had obviously stuck with me over these years because that's kind of what this song's about. It's about us stripped bare is is us as as, as a little kid b- before we've developed our identity, before we've had the experiences, got into the music, the films, the art, all these different things that build to become our identity. That, that was us as a little kid. So, yeah, I, I use numerous examples in this of people that you will judge the book by the cover and not actually realise that there's a lot more going on under the surface. So yeah, that's Entity. Let's move on to the second from last song, the penultimate song. This is one that, again, annoyingly keep having songs on these behind the albums that remain relevant politically. Democracy, I'm sick of it. Cause any politics you can shit live 
deliberate. See, that sounds hard, just fucking mentally. Live with it. Heart full of fire, little drizzle to extinguish it. See, the evil here, the evil talk a lot of bullshit. Complain about the ways to support it. I heard a revolution's coming. Better batten down your boundaries. Like stats from your laptop and then finish up your sandwich. Oh, shit, this isn't just a Twitter campaign. We're gonna take to the streets and now we'll know our name. Every protest is authorized. Clear some sanctions. Is that really a protest? Oh, there's a little gathering. Too many march against the warning. What did they do? Complain alone. Well, listen, man, there's too many of you. No, that's bad about the families. Didn't vote for our leaders. Just some loose lips away and vote again. Fucking genius. Let's dip up a leap. Shit, man, that was good marking. The man's trying to never complain. Remove the spark root. Try a little Praise for emotionally responding him. Hold it down, son. Feel the dark and I'll carve it. Like, stick on the leaf. Hang up a brick. So yeah, basically a song encouraging violent uprising. Um, <laughs> thanks, guys. I've been Scroobius Pip. Um, yeah, the, the, I mean, it's what it is, man. I think we've seen it a lot recently when there has been violent re- reaction in America of late. People have been saying, oh, violence is never the answer. I don't know if it is never the answer. It's never the first choice. It should never be the first choice or the first answer. But if you repeatedly do things the peaceful way and get ignored the example given there is the two million man march or two million march or whatever it was after the iraq war two million people took took to the streets to say we don't support this and then we all went home and nothing happened as again as we as i mentioned in the lyric there protests where it's sanctioned here's where you're allowed to protest so you don't cause any problem it's backwards and it's dumb because how's that going to have any impact? Um, so again, to be clear, I don't think violence or disruption or vandalism should ever be the first choice. But if you've gone the way that they've told you to go numerous times and it's made no difference, then you need to try something else. Or at least it's understandable. My belief on v- violence for change is at the least I understand it and at the most... I support it, or at the least, it's understandable. At the most, it's n- n- straight up necessary. How's that? Because yeah, that people also avoid the fact that violence was part of the abolition of slavery. V- violence was part of the end of segregation and all sorts in loads of different countries. It's n- again, it should never be the first choice, but at times it has been necessary in history and it has been successful. At times, peaceful protest hasn't. I was watching a thing the other night and they were talking about how Martin Luther King, you know, he was peaceful. Yeah, he was peaceful right up until the point where he was shot in the face and killed for his peaceful beliefs. You know, it's tough. It's tough. So so that's what that song is about. And again, it's depressing that it remains... It remains... Irrelevant. It's also about the way our democracy works. The fact that the, that first time the Tories got in, everyone was like, they didn't get the majority. This isn't fair. They shouldn't be in. This is outrageous. I tell you what, n- n- next time we are voting them out. They didn't get voted in this time. So why are you waiting? It seems odd to me to wait. But equally, I, I also always talk online about... The way our democracy is set up is unfair and biased and doesn't work. Therefore, it's childish to just kick off when it doesn't go your way. The past load of elections, prior to the election, I've asked online and wherever else if there's any protests I can go and join against our current political system. 
and no one's offered me anything. When the left has then lost, here's the protest. It's on Sunday. It's this, it's that. It's like, well, no, you can't support a system and then get pissed off when it doesn't go your way. If the left had won, you wouldn't have been protesting. So you can't protest now. The system, if the left had won in a broken system is the point, you should be as angry because the system is broken. You've not got there legitimately either. And that's what that song's about. It's about the emptiness of our activism at times these days. And that's changed a lot since that song as well. A lot of the Black Lives Matter stuff, violent uprising has caused has forced change or at the very least has forced things to the front of people's discussion. And yeah, you can argue it's forced it to the front negatively. But again, it's it's getting these things out there and discussed. Ripping down a statue and throwing it in the, in the river got a discussion about statues happening. And it hadn't been, you know. So anyway, that's what that song's about. On to the last one. You will see me. I mean, hopefully you know this one. It's, as I mentioned earlier, it's... This is one of my proudest moments musically. Um, I love the beat. I'm really pleased with how the lyrics came out. Story of of the lyrics, it's another one where the album was finished and then I was hanging out with my mate Kelly and she'd just been screwed over by a dickhead person that she was seeing... And I kind of wrote this to motivate her because career-wise and artistically, she was killing it at that point and has continued to. So it was kind of a, don't be annoyed. Like the fact is, you're about to be literally on billboards. <laughs> so it's going to be unavoidable that this person who treated you as if you're throwaway has made a mistake. Um, so I wrote it f- for her. But again, I drew from my own experiences and my own emotions and, and anger in previous relationships dan was um not annoyed but again was like typical pip because the first verse is the most relatable thing ever and then the second verse i turn it into a song essentially about genocide and and destroying the whole world um (laughs) out of anger and 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 revenge someone online pointed out as well that it it's a reply to letter from god to man and man i wish i'd written it with that in mind but you listen to it word for word it works perfectly so have you listened and let from god to man and you will see me are two of my proudest things so i like the idea of them sitting t- t- together in that way the video again i said the, one of the reasons i'm so pleased with this is i really liked how the lyrics came out i loved the beat but i loved all all of it i think the video is one of our best videos you know directing that and we won an award for it, me and Tom and Dan, l- learning the song backwards and making it all work. Again, we had did we have one day or two days. I think we had two days to shoot it all. 
No, it might have been one day. I think it was one day to set up and build everything and one day to shoot, maybe. And my mate Ollie, he was at Harrow Th- Theatre and it was a weekday where we could use their space and they had a set that was like a room and we, yeah, we messed everything up and added stuff. So, yeah, all just done low-key and gorilla, but I think it looked really good and I was really pleased and proud of it. This song, I forgot to mention earlier, with terminal that was the one track i used to stutter on live because i had to get really into the moment and the story and it didn't have kind of a tight driven pattern i'd get so into the fragile character i think that i wouldn't be rapper scroobius pip anymore and i'd i'd stutter every now and then and this is another one that live it's one of my favorites to perform but it was really hard to perform because i had to get into a really emotionally draining place to perform it and genuinely my mum was worried about me because she saw a couple of the shows and where I went in the performance of this to get that emotion was kind of exhausting to do night after night because again when we tour it's five or six nights a week and I'd proper go there man again it's one of the things that made a few mates who are actors kind of push me into acting because they were like you know you do acting on stage like where you go in this song and that song isn't your real emotion you're acting and you're finding those and again it's not a true story so it isn't like I'm just picturing this particular breakup or anything I'm getting into this character who is that angry and yeah it was a it, it, it felt like a huge sense of achievement to perform it but it was equally exhausting. I'd end, like the beat goes crazy at the end and I'd just go to the the back of the stage and kind of take a minute as Dan cuts it up. Like most songs where Dan cuts it up, I'll either leave the stage and enjoy it or be on the stage and enjoy it. This was one where I'd go to the back of the stage and kind of just take a minute because it's, yeah, it was emotionally draining to perform night after night. But man, did I love getting to do that with something I've co-created with my mate Dan and that the crowd connects to so much and that I know because we had an amazing crew on that tour with lighting and sound and everything else I know that that emotion is going to be conveyed and it's going to get across in the room we were doing rooms the biggest rooms were like 2,000 probably I think Ireland might have been 3,000 but we were doing rooms that were just at that point where you can get it across to everyone in the room. Do you know what I mean? It's not lost rolling out into an arena or whatever because we didn't have screens or anything. We couldn't afford that shit. But yeah, this was a big one. And I said before, I'll talk about one of the reasons I may never make music again. And I also said I'd refer it to Terminal because of the idea of having this obsession with going out on top now the last ever live gig that i did that was me and dan and it was a festival and best of always like our home crowd so rob the bank and sunday best who run best were our label for these three albums me and dan did, did together and we had these moments at festival that were just breakthrough moments for us there was one where we were on the main stage at like two or three in the afternoon and we happened to not clash with people so we had literally tens of thousands of people at least 20,000 Robbie always 
used to say it was thirty or forty thousand, all there for our set, and it was a timing thing. It was just a perfect storm. So best of all, meant the world to us, and we performed this knowing it was our last gig, announcing it as our last gig, and there was tens of thousands of people there inside the tent and outside the tent who all knew it was our our last performance. Rob the bank introduced us on stage, which he'd never done before. And we went out and performed. My family were there. I think some of Dan's family were there. Loads of friends were there. And man, it was hugely emotional. I came off stage for the... I mean, I'm welling up now. I came off stage at the end of Letter From God To Man for the bit, which through my whole career is probably my favourite thing that I got to do all the time was just watch Dan be Dan Lassac you know, do his thing. You, I mean, there's other times I watched Dan be Dan Lasak and it was the worst moment of my of my career because <laughs> Dan can get uh, rambunctious. But no, just watching him do his thing was always, without fail, an absolute pleasure. And getting to watch that kind of, for the last time, on that song or with me involved, I guess. I've seen Dan live since and adored it. But man, it was emotional to be there and watch that. And then, yeah, to to come come backstage and know that was that. But because of that, that was that was a perfect going out on top, right? That's the perfect. Yes, we did this. Now, if we get offered to do a gig, a while after that, we got offered a few different big money gigs on Freshers' Weeks because they always pay well because student unions have budgets and whatever. And I was always, I was always like, no, I'm not removing that from my last ever gig. <laughs> That's perfect at the moment as the last ever show because everyone in that crowd there wasn't anyone there who just stumbled along or were just there because something's happening they all had followed this mad journey that we'd had over only like a six-year period so that meant the world and that kind of comes up here as well the last song on my last record is possibly my proudest bit of work and one of our most critically acclaimed and fan favorites and how rare is that like legit how many people artists that you're a fan of was their most recent album your favorite you're generally into stuff from the older days or whatever else and that's still the case a lot of the time with this album i'm sure but this last track in particular everyone who's a fan of us who knows of this track has this in their top like five or six and for me as said it's kind of probably joint number one with letter from god to man an introduction, maybe stunner in it. But again, I don't really rank these things. It's weird. It's my own stuff. But I'm fucking proud of it. I tell you that, and I take no shame in in that pride. So yeah, it was kind of how mad to get to go out on that. How perfect. And if I do anything new now, I go out on whatever this new thing is. And again, as I said, you always feel the new stuff is the best stuff you've done because that's why you're putting it out. But that doesn't always hold up in time. I said there's things on this on this record, on all, all the records I've done, there's things I look back on now, as you will have heard on these behind the albums, and I go, yeah, yeah, it's not the best. It's all right, it's not the best. Um, so to have some distance now and still feel that the last ever track on the last album is one of my proudest moments, that's going out on top, man. And it was amazing doing Tim's listening party because there was a lot of people there who tuned in. So Tim's listening party was a thing, is a thing that Tim Burgess does on Twitter. He'll pick albums, have the artist 
tweet along. Everyone will press play at the same time and we'll all listen. So you get a lot of people who haven't heard of you before because they're just fans of the listening parties and they're coming along to hear a new record. And the reaction was biggest on that night to to you will see me. So again, to get that reaction to the last song, I don't know, it's a hell of a way to go out, you know? So yeah, I think that's another reason I've not... And As I've said numerous times, the main reason I'm not making any more music is I've not got any desire to. I'm really excited about other things I'm doing at the moment, writing-wise and creativity-wise. I've never felt more fulfilled or more more creative in my life. So yeah, but there is also that thing of this, that it's like, man, gig-wise, song-wise, I've got to go out on top. And we did, I did it... With the club night as well. I did my club night for 10 years, essentially. And a little bit into that last year, we started to see a bit of a dip and we started to go, or the last couple of years, really, is this really, do we still want to keep doing this? And then in the last six months of that last year, it picked up and every night was rammed. The crowd was perfect. And that's why I decided that we had to end it then. (laughs) We had to go out on top before it starts to potentially dip again go out on our terms and go look we've smashed the fuck out of this it's unprecedented that you get to do a club night for 10 years let's walk away on top let's choose when we go rather than get kicked out and man did covid make that the right time to go by pure chance we went out in 2019 and then 2020 happened and fuck a lot of places have have seen their doors closed so yeah that's it that's repent replenish repeat um an album i'm dead proud of and an album that comes in at 36 minutes and five seconds i like a short record i do feel every album i've done looking back now has got some room to trim the fat even on this one really i said heroism and entity i think they're they're People like them, but they're not songs that I particularly remember or have a particular emotional connection to. Maybe me and Dan should do a, at some point in the future, do a best of vinyl and all that of the three records and just trim the fat and go with the ones that we think are all, all gold. But it's weird. It's all personal taste, isn't it? So, yeah. Anyway, I'm rambling now. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a pleasure as ever. As I said, you can go and have a listen to this on Spotify or iTunes or wherever else and watch the music videos and all that business. Nice one. And big love for for, for tuning in on all these all these album playbacks. They've been really good fun to do. If this is your first one, then we've got the No Commercial Breaks one, we've got the Angles one, we've got the Distraction Pieces one, and we've got the Logic of Chance one. So check them all out. They're a lot of fun. All right. See you later. Bye. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That's been a that's been a week of 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 nostalgia for you guys, and I think we need that. At times like this, every now and then, you know. Hope you enjoyed this. If you know someone who's a Lasak versus Pip fan, and as you know, that maybe doesn't follow the podcast or whatever, 
but you think they might enjoy this and get some some cool some some cool things out of it, then pass it along. Pass it along and spread the word. I'll be back next week with actual guests. I won't be sitting in my studio on my own, just just with a speaker, listening to my own music <laughs> and telling you about it. But yeah, we'll see you all next week. Until then, stay. I need to think of of new ones. It's become a a challenge now. Stay sanitary. Stay soft. A softness is an endearing quality, regardless of your gender. Stay steely, you know, a steely focus and determination. Keep that, keep that in these times. I mean, I don't know why I'm I'm trying to think of any more. All you need to do is make sure you stay sane, stay safe, and stay fucking sexy. Ta-ta.